You're listening to Body Dreams and Nightmares, the podcast where we're harnessing the hidden superpowers of people with chronic pain and invisible illness. Hello, dream tenders, Janelle Inerarity here, and I'm so glad to connect with you again after a little bit of a break. I am right now getting ready to present on Body Dreams and Nightmares actually at a conference, the International Association for the Study of Dreams, and I'm so excited to be able to share that with you coming soon, so please stay tuned. I'll be sharing little bits of that on the Patreon page. For members, there will be even um, more content that you can dive into, and I'll be addressing that on the podcast in future. And today I'm speaking with Lauren Warsh, and this is actually a pre-recorded podcast that we did back in April, and then I took a little break and coming back here to finalize this, and I will be speaking with Lauren on a regular basis. We had a really excellent rapport, we had a lot that we wanted to dive into, and we realized that there was just more that needed to happen. So this is the second podcast with Lauren, and We recorded this on April 13th, and we'll be doing another one again soon. And for those who didn't hear the last one, Lauren is a teacher, writer, somatic empath, healer, and interdimensional messenger. And she was a yoga and meditation teacher for 15 years. She's 52 years old, and she's been navigating her own chronic illness process since her early 20s. She stayed functional for a long time by managing her own illness through diet and self-care, but in her mid-40s was finally too ill to continue working and really entered a dark night of the soul. And once she fully surrendered to the depth of her experience, she was able to begin doing the deeper shadow work and emotional work that allowed her to develop her current offerings. So she now guides empaths and highly sensitive individuals and folks with chronic illness through their own deeper work. And she focuses on supporting and guiding others through deprogramming and through connecting with embodying deeper aspects of soul and self. And so I always really love speaking with Lauren. We just have a a shared language and a shared understanding and um, a shared sense of depth. And so without further ado, here is my conversation with Lauren Warsh. Let's talk about boundaries. Yes. Where should we start? (laughs) I'd actually like to start with defining kind of what we each think boundaries are because it's it's kind of a loaded term that gets thrown around a lot and Mm -hmm. it has a really actually nuanced meaning and I think specific meaning in the way we're using it. So I'm curious what you what you think of when you when you say boundaries and when you think of boundaries. Yeah, I uh, I think I think it's kind of multi-layered. For one thing, because um, a boundary, it, it's an it's an edge, and it's a meeting place. So it's both sort of where your self definition ends, and the other, um, in quotes, the other begins, or the environment begins, um, and it's also where you meet and interact with the environment and the other. So it, boundaries actually contain a paradox, but I think it's also really important to talk about boundaries in practical terms because we live in a culture where we're not conditioned or trained into understanding what sovereignty means, sovereignty and agency. Mm-hmm. And so 
there's all kind, you know, we live in an abusive culture, basically. And so learning how to know what your boundaries are, express them, enforce them, that's all relevant, too. And in the spiritual world, it, there's just so much confusion and I think um, perpetuation of some of the abusive patterns that we've been taught in the culture at large about that. Maybe you want to help me ground this a little bit more. It seems a little abstract what I'm saying so far. Well, that's pretty grounded to me. I'm just thinking of some specific examples in in my life that resonate with that. I'd love to hear. Um, well, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking uh, I spend a lot of time as a volunteer. I do a lot of volunteer work in various capacities. And there historically, I've burned myself out in those scenarios because I the the volunteer uh, paradigm will tend to reflect sort of the corporate paradigm, right? It says like really work, 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 but you're not actually getting compensated. And I mean, you're getting compensated on a on a deep level, but you're not being sort of held as a um, an equal in terms of like getting paid, getting benefits, things like that. It's a self-motivated benefit and the return is in the human connection, which you can have in other scenarios as well. So it's not like dependent upon that situation. And um, and I've mm. sort of recently asked for something in a volunteer capacity and just this this barrage of of stuff came back at me that was basically like, don't ask for what you want. Don't don't push back against the system. And I noticed that my internal voice at first kind of started to agree and like, oh, I'm asking for too much. And then I, I really had to step back and say, no, like this is this is an energy exchange. I'm agreeing to an energy exchange. I've been given something that doesn't work for my energy system. And my boundary is to say for this exchange to be okay, I have to stand in what is going to work for me. It's going to feel good and it's going to feel fair. And I have the right to stand in that. And it was fascinating to recognize that the culture is so deeply ingrained to say, Uh no, you just kind of have to accept the abusive paradigm. Yes. Oh, it's so clear the way you're expressing that. And it's, you know, it's relevant to all our situations, you know, even the most intimate relationships, what you're saying, Hmm. that... um, We've been so trained to believe that, I guess, that what we need needs to fit into a certain mold that society says is okay. And wherever our needs are beyond that, and I'm talking about our, you know, our genuine deep needs that are really individual, as well as like the basic need that we all have for deep respect and honor, um, in any energy exchange, we want that to be a fair exchange. So it just feels to me like what you're saying about, well, that situation, I feel like is something that most of us can relate to on so many different levels. And so what does that mean when you, you've you actually realized that you need something to, to shift, that the energy exchange doesn't really feel like it's balanced or fair, and you speak up for it, and then you get that blowback? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's really interesting because I think so much of the conditioning, at least for some of us, especially people who have less rank in society or less rank in whatever relationship we're talking about. And I'm, by rank, I mean socially ascribed rank, not something mm-hmm. inherent. 
um, but people that have less rank, there's this internal subtle pressure to just submit, to just be like, oh, okay, I was asking for too much. I'm sorry, you know, and to kind of spin into self-doubt about all of that. Um, yeah, that's something I've been really recognizing in myself is how the, the, the depth to which that was ingrained, that it's it's surprising to me when I have moments uh, of waking up to the fact that I'm doing that and I say, oh, I don't have to do this. What happens if I do this? If I, if I say, no, actually, I'm just going to take up space. I'm just going to ask for what I need. I'm not going to push on anybody else. I'm not going to harm anyone else in that. I'm just going to take up my own space. And it feels like this revolutionary thought. I'm laughing at myself because then I think, oh, and then I watch, you know, some of the people with higher um, gender rank or socioeconomic rank or something in my in my sphere just do that naturally. And I go, whoa, of course mm-hmm. that thing was easy because they didn't internally tell themselves not to do it. Right. Uh- even you talking about it creates space in my body. Mm. Just when you, it, it feels like it opens up this space where there's this reconnection to the legitimacy of you get to be who you are with your own deep needs and desires. And I think, I think the desire piece is really interesting. That's part of what's, um, part of the revelations that I've been having recently have to do with Reconnecting to our own deepest will and the sacredness of your will and then owning that you get to express that will in the world. Of course, this isn't about like any of the, any desire that you have that would um, come at the expense of someone else. I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about when you've cleared up yourself, when, when your intentions are very sincere and deep and in, in um, love, respect, and honor, that when you've done the work to bring yourself into alignment in that way so that you're deeply committed to showing up in the world and in relationship, in honor, then trusting your will and trusting the validity of your will and the genius in your will to kind of reveal itself and propel you into your soul expression in the world it's like it's almost like we surrender into our will then but in order to surrender you have to trust it you have to build this profound trust when so many messages from society are saying don't trust this that's wrong you know you it's dangerous like you said it's revolutionary it is exactly that it's really revolutionary yeah you know i'm really thinking about how um it it's revolutionary to the point that I, I'm recognizing, at least in myself, and I imagine this is true for many, that I'm conditioned to the point that just using my will, mm-hmm. I, I had a, a deeper belief that just the fact of using my will was impinging upon others. Yes. Like, n- not talking about, oh, if I do this, it's going to harm someone. It's like just the fact that I say, um, I need something, I want something, I desire something, that that's a problem for for other people and and then i also want to recognize in that space that there there is a, a very real cultural 
process that happens where if society is somehow invested in mm -hmm. a person of a lower rank in a societal situation uh, having what they want, that there is a very real pushback that happens. So I want to ground that in, yes, we're talking about something that is very deep and very esoteric and uh, very real, and then the pushback is also very real. So I want to make sure that people don't uh, internalize sort of more oppression like oh if I just stood in my will it's like you might stand in your will and you might get very real pushback and that's not a problem with you yeah exactly uh, that's a societal process and it's still it's still good to stand in your will um, it's still really vital and revolutionary it's so important what you're saying and you know I I'm kind of moved to name specifically that Female conditioning is much more about abandoning your will and that your will is not legitimate or not as legitimate or as important um, than the male will. And that's not to say, of course, that there aren't lots of men who've also gotten the message that where they fit in the scheme of things in terms of rank, that, that their desire is also lesser than. And, uh, you know, I speak out loud of the gender, the way that, that this is sort of designed gender-wise, but it's also relevant with race and socioeconomic status and gender, um, like sexual orientation and gender. Queer people are generally assigned rank that's very low in society. So anybody whose will is more likely to disrupt the norm is much more likely to get really intense blowback or pushback and a lot of times that can be so subtle that it's just like it's kind of a form of gaslighting yeah and you don't you don't recognize you may not recognize that it's happening i want to define gaslighting for listeners who may have heard it and aren't quite sure what it is or who just don't know what it is um it's a it's a term from a movie and i'm sorry i don't know the the year that the movie was made but um there was a a the characters in the movie, the husband was, uh, it was at a time when the lights in the house were, were gas lights and he intentionally basically drove his wife mad by changing her belief around her perception. So he would have the lights up high and then she would notice they were up high and then she, he would turn them down and she would come back and say, oh, the lights are really low. And he would say, I don't know what you're talking about. You're just crazy. And um, and did this with enough things in their life over enough time that she completely uh, changed her own belief about her own perceptions. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about gaslighting is something that society will do that kind of process very unconsciously, um, yes, exactly. sometimes consciously, but sometimes not. Right? That's what I, that's what was coming up for me when you were describing it is how <clears throat> um, so much of what so much gaslighting behavior is actually unconscious and unintentional. It's just who does society consider to be credible and who does society project distrust on and lack of credibility. So talking about gender again. Part of the deep conditioning that I think we receive in the society is just this belief that women are less trustable. They, they can't be trusted to even be accurate reporters of their own experience. Mm -hmm. And, and so, but that message is so sublimated, right? Like there's a lot of people who don't consciously think that way, but 
are actually still carrying the um, the ancestral and the cultural conditioning that holds that into a subconscious place. And so that person could very easily gaslight someone just because they don't they don't want to listen. They just don't even want to listen to the other person report on their experience. And society says, you don't have to because that person's not credible or not as credible as you are. And so I think like this gaslighting phenomenon is on a certain level, it's so widespread that it gets pretty complicated to talk about it. Um, and it like just, nobody notices that it's happening. Nobody knows it's happening on any side of the equation in a way. Right. Right. Exactly. And it just has the effect of um, creating this deep underlying basis of self-doubt for, for those who have been gaslit by society. Let's let's call it that. Um, where, well, maybe you can't trust yourself. Maybe you are crazy. Maybe maybe your desires are too much or not fair or, or you know, we learn to tie ourselves up in knots. So, so let's talk about that in the context of chronic illness, because that, I mean, there are studies now coming out that show that particularly young women will struggle for much longer to get an accurate diagnosis because they're just told, oh, you're making it up. Oh, you're too young for that. Oh, you're too pretty for that. Oh, you just, this can't really be happening to you. And even more so, this happens to black women. That's mm-hmm. like just amplified. And this is being researched at this point where the, the medical system trains practitioners to reinforce that. And again, it's not, it's not the practitioners consciously doing that. It's like there's a systemic training that's happening. And then women, and particularly women of color, are coming in with this already societal basis that says, I better question myself. I better not challenge authority. I better wonder about my own experience. And that's perpetuating the severity and length of time that chronic illness is being lived with. It's so true. It's so true. And it's really, it's a brutal experience. You know, I just want to start with that. That um, when you've gone to the so-called experts in a state of great vulnerability seeking help and the implicit message that you get back is that you're not trustable and that your experience is not real because it doesn't fit into the box or the boxes that Western medicine has already developed a body of knowledge about, um, developed an understanding about, that's profoundly um, traumatizing and confusing. And I think contributes, I actually think that a lot of the chronic illness and mystery illnesses that are so prevalent and so much more common in women than men, in some ways they're actually a manifestation of the lifetime of not being believed, needs not being considered important, and that sort of thing. Um, obviously, there's a lot else going on, too. I don't want to in any way imply that I'm reducing it <clears throat> to that. But that energetic and emotional burden of going through your days and your years not being taken seriously or not being taken as seriously, it has a real impact. You know, it takes its toll. Hmm. I just noticed as you started talking about that, I felt really sad. Like I kind of wanted to cry and I want to 
Yeah, no, me just too. honor that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's cry. <laughs> That'll be a new um, <laughs> in podcast world. <laughs> and now we will take a crying break. <laughs> But I want to bring that in. I mean, I notice even as you as you sort of join me in like, yeah, this is really sad. Let's just take a moment with this. And I can I can feel it more freely in myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because even that is such a deeply conditioned, like, oh, I'm having a really strong feeling. But this is not the place to have strong feelings. This is the place to talk about ideas or to stay in radio mode and communicate properly. And, and even that, just naming that. And saying, like, no, I'm going to, like, yes, I'm staying with listeners and saying, like, this is, and I'm staying with you as as my partner in conversation here and saying, like, there's a lot of feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not going to override that. I think it's an amazing opportunity. I'm so grateful to you to get to have this conversation holding space for so much. It feels like. Like we're finding the way, we're, we're just feeling our way through it really, of how do we be these integrated beings showing up in our wholeness together in conversation and still, of course, like meet the baseline of of creating a conversation that has value to people, you know, that has that has conversational and intellectual value and where, you, where they can get traction and plug in rather than just having us get together and process our feelings. It's not that. It's all of it. Mm-hmm. But instead of exiling the emotion that gets, that's coming up, I mean, I'm still, I feel really just kind of intense energy in my heart right now. And my voice is sort of shaky. And I feel like that's a really legitimate part of this conversation. But it takes courage to, to claim that. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that this is going to go out into the world and I'm being vulnerable and you're being vulnerable right now. And that brings up a lot of intense energy in my body. Mm. You know, I, and I, I've lived so long in this society with a sensitivity to those more subtle um, ways that I have been dismissed or invalidated that I automatically, like I can feel the part of me that automatically is almost trying to shift my behavior in predicting for those people that will not be able to receive this and that will want to put us down for having this kind of conversation or mm-hmm. minimize it. Or You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that to sort of victimize myself. I'm just saying that that's a part of what I'm actually bringing to this moment is negotiating all these different threads, including this feeling of vulnerability and wanting to protect myself from attack and projections that are um, inaccurate and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to protect you and us from that as well. Mm. And, and I'm thinking about that in terms of also a role in the, the system that we're talking about in the sense that, um, something very sensitive and personal is happening and then there's this very impersonal role that that comes in and says no fit into the system don't have your feeling your your feeling isn't accurate and 
I'm mm -hmm. going to send you away or I'm going to label you as a hypochondriac or I'm going to um, over medicate you with something that has nothing to do with the thing that's actually happening because I can't be bothered to explore the thing that's actually happening. I just want to make space. I feel like what you said is so important and I imagine it feels really validating to me and I hope that others can feel like an aspect of their experience that hasn't been acknowledged or seen or understood that they can receive that now. This is such big stuff. It is and I'm wondering how we take this, this very intimate conversation that we're having around this and apply it to actually interfacing with the medical system. I keep saying the medical system, but I, then I want to say like the healing process in general. And we started out talking about boundaries and something about owning, standing for your own experience. It doesn't have to be a fight against, but just uh, uh, standing in your own yeah. experience and then what that means in terms of being clear with honoring your own sensitivity, but then also facing something that's quite insensitive mm -hmm. and, and still having to, to navigate that to get to the other side, to get some sort of healing or some sort of support or whatever is needed. I'm so glad you're saying that because, um, you know, I'm aware that much of what we've talked about so far kind of surfaces, the experience of victimization, hmm. which is really, it's so important to acknowledge that and for us to get, um, to name accurately so we, that we can really see the dynamics in society that are operating and how they're affecting us. But at the same time, a big piece of what I've been learning about boundaries is that every time I am experiencing kind of that invalidation or disrespect from the medical system or from society at large, not only is it an experience that is somewhat dehumanizing, but it's also an opportunity for me. And it's an opportunity for me to see where I've internalized this pattern of dehumanizing myself mm -hmm. or invalidating myself. And to recognize that there's nothing about the way that I've internalized that that I have to hold on to, that it's actually possible to unpack and deconstruct the ways that I've internalized that and basically take back my power. And I think that's, I think we see that happening in the world right now in this incredibly profound way that we're only just even starting to put our finger on how many individuals and um, especially women with, I think the Me Too movement has a lot to do with this, with just recognizing, no, this is, you know, these messages I've gotten forever, it's not right, it's not fair. And I can feel in myself that I am as deserving of the respect that society gives to these um, groups of higher rank. I am as deserving of that. It, and it's a, it's a feeling though. It's like actually settling in deeper than the enculturated self-doubt to this place of deeper true knowing of, and that's where it's not about, um, coming at the expense of anyone else but just claiming for yourself the right for you for just in your own body and being to settle into knowing 
uh, the integrity of your desire, your will, your need, and being able to hold the beauty of that even when you're interacting with these systems where you know it's, you know, years or decades before those systems are going to catch up with being able to bring fairness into how they operate, bring respect and deep honor into how they operate, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the medical practitioners that I work with right now and some others that I've worked with in the past who have been deeply sensitive and who have taken me very seriously and who have helped me tremendously and and gotten me through some very difficult uh, points in my health process and how they they sort of bridge that gap almost. They act as a, a bit of a buffer and there's this insensitive thing, invalidating thing on one side, and then there's me in this uh, struggling place and knowing that something's wrong but not knowing what it is. And then there is this other role that shows up that says like, there can be a bridge. We can take all of this knowledge and information we have and take the human part and the spirit part and weave them together and find mm-hmm. what's needed and then I'm also thinking about like the incredible blessing that I've happened to have lived in places and and had access to that type of practitioner at some really key moments and that when somebody doesn't live in that place or have access to that practitioner how can we all then become that for ourselves become that type of practitioner for ourselves oh that's such a good point and and the whole thing that you were just saying um I think like Part of what's happened for me is in shifting into really uh, landing into this deep self-trust again and allowing myself to trust it in the face of the messages society keeps giving me. I I have been able to then recognize that there are systems of support, individuals, good doctors that are available. And now I'm in this energetic space of feeling like I deserve that. And so it's much easier to find the care and the support that I need. But like what you're saying, I also live in this place that you live (laughs) where um, the resources that we have here are uncommon. Um, You know, I think this is in some ways it's representative of the emergent edge of where good medical care is going. Um, But I, it's an incredible privilege to live in a place where there are actually a lot of practitioners who are um, showing up in their practice with, integrity and awareness. And so through that, I mean, even to be able to recognize when that's happening, right? You've mentioned several times this, this and I'm going to get the words wrong, but it's, it's this, this deep, this inner knowing that says, I recognize my own experience and I'm going to follow it and follow my own integrity. How have you built that or how have you learned to recognize it? Because if it's been, um, I want to say like obfuscated, if it's been sort of covered up over time, it can even be hard to start to recognize it for what it is when it shows up or to find it and to build that muscle. Right. It feels like it's been pretty hard won. I think part of it for me has been allowing it to be a process of reclaiming and understanding that uh, I think the process is really quite complex because partly what I think we're doing is healing from centuries and and millennia actually of being abused out of our self-trust 
being taught that we can't trust ourselves. And it's just so much, what I'm trying to say is it's so much bigger than us individually, but some of us as individuals um, are kind of, let's just say it's been more intensified. Like for me, this has been a really big issue in my whole life. And part of that, I think, is because one piece of my process and my service, my reason for being even, is to unpack this and to heal from it, both how I've carried it personally and whatever uh, ancestral piece of it has ripened in me, has come to the surface into my awareness, and whatever collective piece of it, um, whatever way, whatever way my own personal process mirrors what goes on for the collective, then however, how I show up in, in healing this kind of conditioning and coming into a much more sane and true understanding is also like creating a new morphogenetic groove in the collective. So I say all that just to honor that it's okay that it's a deep process and that it takes time. Mm. You know, maybe we've been at this for lifetimes. I don't even know if I answered your question. <laughs> um, Did I? I mean, it was a beautiful, important part of the answer. I think that uh, I'm I'm curious if if there's anything in particular, like if somebody's listening and thinking, that's great that these people I'm listening to have gone on this journey, but what does that even mean? Where do I even start? How do I even start to recognize this or... Uh, if I do stand for it, if I do find my inner will and my inner integrity, my parents, my partner, my boss, my doctor is going to give me so much pushback that it's not even worth it. And it's better not even to know, like I'm sort of amplifying that, but where, where does one even start or how does one even start to first recognize that experience when it shows up and then cultivate it and knowing I love what you just said of, of it's not it's not like an all or nothing overnight hey I figured this out now I can do it all the time it's great I'm not really sure it seems like we each kind of have our own beginning place mm. um, I know for me it's like it wasn't worth it to risk all that pushback until it was, until it became, until I became aware of what the real cost to me was of continuing to um, basically to self-abandon because that's what my conditioning taught me to do. So that in circumstances where my will is in conflict with another will or a group, the will of a group, or even just showing up fully as myself, you know, where that creates discomfort. This long history of self-suppression and self-doubt at a certain point, and for me, it had to things had to get really bad for me to be able to recognize what the cost was of continuing to abandon myself like that. And then, like somehow digging deeper and finding the courage to face that kind of pushback when I'm already feeling really vulnerable and, um, you know, vulnerable from illness and vulnerable from just my natural sensitivity. 
trying to learn how to step into um, taking much better care of myself and letting go of that habit of self-abandonment, but doing it in a way that didn't make it worse for myself, that didn't like create so much drama in my life that I was actually making myself sicker or, you know, bringing on too much of a challenge at once. So it's like, I think it's about kind of finding that place that's beyond your comfort zone, but that's really deeply self-honoring. That's not so far beyond your comfort zone that you're perpetuating dysregulation or trauma cycles. Uh, So it's a real balancing act and you really have to just keep tuning in with how it's working, how what you're choosing to do is working and how can you refine that and where is it worth it for you to take a stronger stand expressing your needs with somebody and where is it, um, where are you actually taking better care of yourself by continuing in that situation, not to self-abandon, but maybe to just pull away or disengage a little bit more from that person. And You know what I mean? It's It's very specific to each situation, each relationship, and exactly where you are in the moment and what your needs are right now. So I think it starts with learning that it's that it's okay to want to take good care of yourself and that there's no set of rules that you need to follow here, but what you're doing is learning how to take better and better care of yourself. And that's part of, again, of that's like, let that be a process. Let yourself make mistakes. Let yourself get it wrong without beating yourself up. Know that it's a process so that there's space for you to discover your deeper needs and what really does work for you and what doesn't. And I think when that intention is there, this has been my experience, when that intention is there, it comes. It's been developing and it's, you know, it's not an easy process, but it, it's been getting easier and easier. Hmm. It's kind of profound that that it even bears saying it's okay to take care of yourself. Right. I'd love to I'd love to hear for you, you know, how you relate to this in your own experience and how did you start? And what's that process been like of it landing for you that self care isn't just this cute little new agey concept or something, but you know what that really means in your own embodiment and life. Whew, that is a big question. I'll start with part of a, a response that I was having to some of what you were saying, something that was landing with me is part of my process around the boundaries and recognizing my patterns around boundaries and where I abandon myself is realizing that when something is stressing me out, when somebody is saying or doing something that really is stressful for me, I've noticed over time that I'll tend to almost go towards what's happening and try to resolve it in the relationship. And I'll notice like, oh, you know, I have this knot in the pit of my stomach or my chest feels tight or my throat feels tight or something. And I'll respond to that by going towards the situation and trying to resolve it in relationship, which I think is a trauma pattern. And when I can come back and say, hang on, primary thing is something's happening in my body right now that's telling me something. Wow. And if I can just follow that first 
and not prioritize, oh, well, I have to keep making eye contact with this person or I have to keep nodding and saying yes to whatever they're saying because it keeps because they're going to keep talking or whatever. I have to come back and say, my body says I need to stretch my arms out right now or I need to turn away or I actually have no interest in listening to what's being said. And when I follow that, it changes the relationship. Mm. And the person, if they notice, responds and something shifts in the relationship. And if they don't notice, then why am I staying there anyway? Um, And I can just remove myself. So I think there's something really important in that. And then when I zoom it out to your question around um, burning out, I don't know if that's the word you use, but to sort of like over overextending myself rather than taking care of myself. That's what you said. Self-care is not just a, a new age. It's not, not like a fluffy thing. It's like foundational. Mm-hmm. And that, that was very hard one for me uh, because I grew up watching that, right? watching the older generation in my family work themselves to the bone and not pause and not take care of those signals of, Hey, you were just hospitalized. Maybe slow down a little, maybe say no to this, make this part easier. And, and then doing that to myself to the point that my health really, really deeply suffered. And I experienced a lot of, trauma through that process and finally just getting to a place of of recognizing that it was almost like my body demanded it Mm -hmm. it was like if you're not going to preemptively take care of yourself I'm just going to shut down until you take care of yourself and so learning learning that from my body really and saying, okay, now, now I recognize my body is giving me a very subtle signal. Hey, this is a little bit of an overextension. And just stopping there and saying, thanks, body. Thanks for letting me know before it got bad that we could pause and we could have some water and take some vitamins and go to the acupuncturist and whatever, you know, whatever level it's at. Oh, you give me chills. It's so profound what you're saying. Naming that, the the distinction, too, between trying to resolve it in relationship before actually reconnecting with yourself, noticing that there is some kind of self-disconnection. Oh, my God, that's so important. That's so important. And I find I have to come back to that over and over again because the relational patterns are so strong. This pattern of, like, energetically, literally leaving my own center to try and fix it out there with the other person and, you know, whatever that means. Um, it really resonates for me what you were saying about that. And one thing that uh, another piece I've noticed is how challenging that can be, you know, especially in the relationships I deeply value um, and where there's a dynamic that's not health, that's not healthy and that, doesn't seem to be resolving with anything that we've done so far. Um, And just coming back to my own body and that subtle signal right now. Well, sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's really loud. It's like, no, (laughs) right now, do not engage with this person anymore. Hmm. Um, But either, you know, either way, whether it's subtle or a loud signal, 
having arrived at the place where I know I want to take care of myself now. I know that how important it is. And for me also, like you were saying, basically I had to get to the point where my body was shutting down and it was going to kill me if I didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how intense this conditioning is. Yeah. For some of us anyway. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I want to slow that down. Like, that's really, because I had that experience also, and I imagine many people have, but that's so profound um, that literally the body says, slow down, listen, or I'm going to kill you. And how internalized that is, that there's an external voice that said that. uh, I mean, for me, it was an external voice that, that says, like, keep working, don't stop, or I'm going to kill you. And that becomes internalized as keep working, don't stop. And then my body says, hey, like, if you don't stop, we're going to die. And reclaiming that that says, okay, I don't have to have that external, that that, the internalized version, like the world might still try to say that to me, but I don't have to agree with that internally. And I can do everything within my internal power to follow myself in that. It doesn't mean that the world stops saying exactly. that necessarily. Exactly. You just you get to the point where you trust yourself so profoundly that you say, I'm unsubscribing from this paradigm, from mm-hmm. this reality. Because mm-hmm. it's a distorted reality. And I don't want that anymore. Mm-hmm. Huh. Wow. Whew. Well, I think that's a really beautiful place to close up today. Uh, is there anything else that you want to make sure that you share or land on this really juicy subject of boundaries and self-care and honoring the inner experience? I just want to keep talking about it. It feels like <laughs> there are so many layers. Um, uh, let me... It does. There's something. There's something there that's wanting to be expressed and um, I think it has to do with with celebration Mm. like like this this edge that we find ourselves at societally um, this waking up to our collective trauma and the ways that certain kinds of trauma have been um, directed to certain groups so that certain groups are carrying the burden of that. We're waking up to all the different ways that society is structured um, in this profoundly unjust way and how that's impacted us and how that's actually diminished the opportunities for everyone. There's something about recognizing how damaged our um, our self-honor, our capacity to self-honor has been, and our capacity to, to truly take care of ourselves, recognizing that, recognizing how society perpetuates that. Um, it's just, it's so profound. Like, I feel like there's something changing that... We don't, I feel like we're really just seeing the tip of the iceberg and that it is so unstoppable that 
it's almost like trust the process, trust the process that we're in as a collective. It's got so much momentum and it's going to carry us. And I know there's so much evidence for all the all the ways the pushback is kind of amping up and how pathological that can be. It can it can look like everything's just going completely to hell. It's just getting worse. And but my sense is something has awoken already and it's just filtering up into our consciousness and into our bodies. And if you want to if you want to receive the benefits of that, you don't have you don't have to know how to do that. You just have to want it and know that you want it and you know, communicate your intention to the universe, to source, that that's the path you're on. And then let this wave that is so tremendous pick you up and carry you along. You know, we don't have to know how this all plays out. Just something's happening and it's really good and it's painful to move through it and let the layers of the trauma come to the light. But if we keep showing up and I don't really see how that's going to stop, I don't think, I don't think it's stoppable. More and more people are going to keep showing up and it's, and it's creating a deeper resource of support for everyone. And I just think it's going to be really amazing to see how this unfolds over the next few months and years and then decades. Mm, that really makes me think about how, uh, I and, and so many of us are conditioned to think that we're operating in isolation in vacuum, but what you're describing is this big wave and each of us goes through different phases of it at different points and gets different struggles or different benefits at different points, but the collective movement is in this direction of a, a new way of being with ourselves and each other. And if we just continue to sort of ride that wave, surf it as best we can, roll with it, then collectively we get to a new place that is more supportive of wellness overall. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think we don't even know. Um I don't think it's possible to see right now what's coming and how much potential there is for a really deep level of healing and renewal, really, renewal of the promise of humanity. Mm. Well, thank you, Lauren, so much for talking with me about this today, and I look forward to talking with you more about it me in too. the future. Me too. Thank, thank you so much, Janelle. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Body Dreams and Nightmares podcast with your host, Janelle Inerarity. Follow us and join the discussion at patreon.com backslash Janelle We'll see you soon. Until then, keep dreaming.